Hello and welcome. <laughs> I can't. Hello and welcome back to Silverstein, the podcast. Big episode today. Big episode. I am very excited. I think we all are very excited, as we were, to put together these tracks, the altar slash Mary. Big episode. Band favorite, fan favorite, great track. So right off the top, were you guys expecting the reaction from the fans the day the record dropped? Like it seemed like this was the unanimous favorite slash the the mind blower of the record when when Misery Made Me dropped. I mean, there are even fans saying this is their all-time favorite Silverstein song, right? Like I think I think we we knew it was a cool thing. It was a great song, but I mean, for people to put it at that height already is it's mind blowing. It was going to be my reaction regardless. Like when the record dropped, I was just ready to blast people like, hey, this is a really cool thing that we did. Check it out. But the fact that so many people were saying, oh, my God, what is this track? Um, There was, you know, reposting Instagram stories and stuff. I was just like, wow, this is really connecting. And, And then obviously going a bit deeper and reading you know, people's breakdowns and um, reactions on the Discord and stuff. Like, people love this track, and it's really cool because I love this track. Totally. I personally didn't know how it would be received by the the general public. It, it, it is different in many ways from things that we have historically done. Sure, it does combine some intensity and some uh, introspection, but wow, the reaction has been just... Mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely thought like worst case scenario, it would be perceived as like a throwaway art track that like no one actually took seriously as a song. But, you know, right. kind of like a lot of the interlude stuff we did on wind shifts or on any of the records, really. Like I thought worst case scenario, people go like they'll listen through it on the their first listen to the album and then just skip it if they don't, you know, don't get it, don't like it. But to have everybody really latch onto it as a as a standout track and uh, something they really gravitate towards is very cool. And I was not expecting that. Yeah. The song feels like one of the more self-indulgent songs we produce in a long time, maybe almost ever. I feel like we really crafted something that we truly love that is 100% influenced by the music that we like and other artists and all the different types of creativity out there. And it's almost like that pure honesty, like resonated 10 times harder with the fans they're like, oh, this is what you want to do? Like, this is something that you, you've you bottled up and you've been able to apply to this composition. Th- they bought in right away. And and that it's really amazing that we can be so excited by, about something like that and be so honest in the fans to um, reciprocate with that. Yeah, I have to agree with all of that. I mean, it is interesting, though, how this song, or songs, as we're going to get into in a minute, they really have all of the parts they're just in a lot of like different order. You know what I mean? Like there's so many parts really and you have kind of everything. You've got like a really heavy verse like at the beginning of the altar. You've got a really great breakdown and then you have this super melodic part in in Mary as well. So it kind of like gives you everything just not in the way that we would typically give people that. You know what I mean? And I think that that was sort of what made it interesting to me and the way that we presented it 
And I think that that's important to note that, you know, the title is The Altar slash Mary because it is two different compositions that were written separately, even with different people. And then we decided really worked as a unit because of the lyrics. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we did that that middle section, the part that I sing, uh, if you didn't know that was me, it is me. Uh, it wasn't always going to be me. It was we we're kind of holding that for a feature. Um, and I just kind of put that down as a placeholder and we ended up like kind of killed it, it actually. Is yeah, what thank you. <laughs> but uh, that it would, all it took was that middle section to kind of act as the pivot point between the heavy altar lyrics and the sort of more pensive Mary lyrics. Um, and yeah, it ended up telling a really cool story. Like Shane said, you absolutely killed that part. And we were kind of waiting for something to, to happen there where we knew that there was going to be a really cool moment. And we, we, you know, tossed around some ideas of features and had a, a little bit of a wish list that we started to chase. But then once you were like, well, let's just get an idea down. It was just so good that we were like, we don't need another person like Paul Marks, the guy, this is, these are the lyrics. This is the part, right? Like, we didn't need to like add another voice into this, right? I'm the built-in guest vocalist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's our secret weapon. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because yeah, like we really I think wanted a feature and then the most obvious thing was um, when Paul Mark wrote the lyrics, it's like, then go sing it. And then that really, really unlocked the song. I felt like we were just like all blown away by the performance and the lyrics and how it was produced. It just yeah, that really I think unlocked the song for me. Completely. The production is really interesting on that specific vocal part. I wasn't there when you did it. I felt like maybe I didn't want to be all up in your shit. You know what I mean? You get you get one time to shine in a record, you maybe. So it's like maybe I'll just gonna fuck off and let you like, you know, handle that. But when I heard it back, I was like, Man, there's a lot going on. And when I was able to listen to the acapella, which we're gonna get into, I was like, damn, there is a lot going on here with with just different layers of of your vocal and inflections and 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 stuff like that walk us through kind of how you tackled that yeah it was one of those times that you know i think we came upon a lot in the studio where it was like okay i gotta go outside or i think i actually went all the way up to the apartment and i was just standing at the counter like playing that part on loop and just typing stuff out and trying to feel a rhythm it was a little bit the way in the last episode i guess mike was talking about writing patterns how he like maybe gets the pattern mm -hmm. first and just feels the words come after. But this was particularly tricky because I knew it had to say something really specific to bridge the gap between those two songs. So I kind of had both an idea for the pattern and an idea for what the lyrics needed to say. And it was just about fitting those two things together. And then the melody was very vague as I was writing it because originally we were looking at sort of like a hip hop or rap feature there because I think it would have been really great. So that's why the cadence is like that. Um, and then I had to put a melody to it, um, which, you know, sort of just came from singing it over and over again. And then there's my favorite part of it is the like, right, uh, which, right, yeah. which is Billy Joel inspired because in my in the LeBaron, my <laughs> 1985 Chrysler LeBaron convertible. Thank you. <laughs> One of the cassettes it came with was Billy Joel live in Russia. It's called Concert, but it's spelled in like Cyrillic. <laughs> live in Russia. Wow. Yes, it's amazing. Is this the show where he like throws a fit and like yes. like flips the piano? Yeah. Yeah, that's not in they cut that out of the cassette. <laughs> but I believe it is. And uh so that's they, amazing. He in that on that tape there's a song called uh I think it's called Goodnight Saigon. 
And uh, it's just one of those great Billy Joel ballads about like the working class. And he's so good at that. Uh, and it sort of was on top of mind because the altar is kind of about that sort of working class struggle too. But there's like that delay throw. I think he says yeah. like, dark as night. I, I. And I was like obsessed with it. So I was really happy there was an opportunity to throw <laughs> that in there as a little homage to my boy, Billy. That part stuck out right away at me as like, it's such a vibe. It's like a, it's maybe the note isn't even right on. Yeah, it's not. It's just like a kind of screamy thing. Yeah, it's like just thrown and not thrown away exactly. It's almost like the opposite of thrown away. Um, when you're talking about producing vocals, like when we say throw it away, it's kind of like when you're just like, you're saying something, you just go, uh, like, you know, this is kind of like the opposite of that. I don't know. It's like all vibe and it's almost like a character comes out of you, which in fact, you are kind of playing a character uh, in, in this this part, right? With what you're kind of explaining in the lyrics. Totally, yeah. It's for, it's from the perspective of someone who's like maybe got a little success and is a part of this system that I spend the entire first half of the song deriding. Um, and it's kind of this, and it's sort of. I mean, it is a little bit personal, also, because like obviously, you know, we're very lucky to be in the positions we're in, and like it does feel a little disingenuous to just like rip on a system that has benefited, you know, us and me personally. So. Um, it's sort of, yeah, the, the lyrics are from the perspective of someone who's like, I know this shit's all fucked up, but like that particular line, it's also a question, right? It's like, um, they'd rather make ends meet than meet their maker with a rope, right? Um, and so mm -hmm. that right is a question and I wanted to perform it like that. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was a bit theatrical, I guess you could say. For sure. For sure. But definitely, definitely a cool, a cool part. So we're going to have Mr. Mike Tompa joining us uh, in about uh, 15 minutes or so. And Mike, who you know and love as our sixth member, he's joined us on tour a bunch, uh, playing everything from, from keyboards to guitar to violin and cello. And he had a hand in writing the second half of this song, Mary. Uh, so we're going to get a word from him in just a few minutes. Billy, I've heard you maybe have a question. Yeah, Paul Mark, I guess I just had a question about the writing of the altar from like a gu guitar perspective. Um, you know, on this record, we obviously have a bunch of really well-crafted sort of structured pop songs. And I feel like you took a different approach with this, just like trying to approach it from a riff perspective or almost from like a early 2000s, like metalcore kind of look where it's just like, I'm just trying to write a part. I'm not trying to write like a verse, a chorus, a breakdown, this kind of stuff, right? Hundred percent. It was either right when Z two came out, like Devil Wears Prada Z two, or maybe they were doing. Uh, someone shot me a demo of a Devil Wears Prada song. Either John Garing or uh, maybe Paul Kohler illegally sent me a demo. But illegally, <laughs> it was. Uh, everyone's, I think, been refining their craft. Everyone in our scene, metalcore or otherwise, to like try to get down to to tight songs. I mean, you know, that notwithstanding, th this demo that I was sent was like really just like you know early mid 2000s part 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 like nothing repeated really and it was very like frenetic and cool and uh i had already been kicking around an idea for something really kind of like fast and heavy and i was like maybe this is an opportunity to just go part crazy and see what comes out and like there's a ma even in the altar how short it is there's a massive tempo change when the like kind of complicated guitar starts so Frankly, that's probably why this song never became a three minute song is because I just ran out of ideas for like where to go after that. And so I just put it to bed. 
uh, and started working on something else. But yeah, it was definitely inspired by metalcore of that era. And that's a really important thing to note. And I think that um, because we do no bullshit on this podcast, that really was what happened. We had these two, I don't want to call them ditties because that sounds like we're selling them short because they were really, really good, which is why we didn't give up on them. But I heard the altar and I was like, what are we going to add to this? Are we going to go back to the fast part again? Are we going to have another breakdown? You know, it doesn't make sense. So like, I'm, I'm cool with like a two minute song, you know? Um, and then with Mary, it was like, do we want to add another verse? Do we want to add another chorus? Like, it seems like that's just extraneous. And I don't know whose idea it was to unlock, you know, the lyrics and kind of write the like because you'll see when we play some demos a lot of stuff was kind of unfinished but when we decided these songs really work together lyrically then we're like okay well let's just put them together and turn this into like a four minute track and i think that obviously that's magical because i don't know what people would have said if these were just two two minute songs one on side a one on side b yeah i think we didn't want them to be um perceived that way like they you know, obviously we've, we did short songs where we've had sort of fast and heavy stuff. You know, we've done some interlude tracks, you know, from wind shifts onward. And like, even I, I feel like this kind of throws back to maybe like a song like late on sixth or like uh, all on me. Like it's kind of our more experimental kind of mellow synth, you know, um, Bonnie Vare kind of influence, um, with Mary, but, um, having them all together, it just sort of put everything like, it's like, let's just like throw it all here and it gives it all. And I, and I just like love that it's like fast and heavy and riffy and metalcore. And then it's like, has this like kind of Kanye hip hop, you know, Frank Ocean, Anderson pack kind of vibe. And then it goes right into that Cynthia Mary bit. And it's just like, it all makes sense because it all lives under the same umbrella, both lyrically, but it just from the, this point of like um, Silverstein's pushing the envelope. Right. I also don't know whose suggestion it was, and maybe, maybe it's Paul Mark. Maybe he's going to say in a minute. But whoever combined, who's like, yeah, well, Mary and Alter talk about the same thing. Why don't we put the two songs together? But, but fast forward beyond that, I, I do remember the five of us specifically standing out front of the studio. It was like a warm, sunny day, and we were talking about the idea of these two songs together, but not even just together, but on the same physical track with no break. Yeah, and we were so excited about that idea and that it wasn't a forced idea. It wasn't us like, let's write two songs and then combine them and put them on one track and tell the, tell people that's what it was. It was like, this was such an organic evolution and idea. And it felt so, it felt so new for us and to unlock a new idea, 10 albums in and be excited about it and be creative with it. It felt so inspiring. And I think that's really when like the heartbeat of the album really kind of was discovered because then it was like, well, this is kind of like the middle of the record. This is, you know, really a really big peak. Let's sequence around this. Let's work around this. Let's build beyond. Like we know now these songs are on the album because I feel like up until that point, we were still recording songs. We weren't recording an album. We were still trying to figure out like what is going to be on this to be named misery made me album. Yeah, that's true. We, you're right. We, we had, you know, we've talked about the green, yellow, red highlighting color coding. And I think both Mary and the altar were probably green because they were, you know, maybe not the altar, uh, but it was 
like, okay, we have these things, but what are we going to do with them? How is best to present them? And I think a part of it, we were a little bit like, is our label going to vibe with this? Is like going to be cool to like deliver 11 tracks instead of 12, but it is 12, 12 song record. And I, and I wondered if that was going to be like a weird conversation or if they were going to be like, well, you know, if you put it into two tracks, then like that's twice the streams, you know, but they were obviously and are the coolest label ever in the history of labels. And they were like, no, we totally vibe with this and we totally get it. But I think if we did split the songs up, I think it loses something. Yeah. I don't know how often uh, like you, uh, people just see a song under like a couple of minutes and just go like, that's oh, not a real song. I don't know. Maybe that's changing now with how Spotify works and everything, but I definitely would think in the past for myself, I would just go like, I don't have to pay full attention to this. Yeah. Although there are so many very famous songs that are like two minutes long, like all the Beatles songs, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like there are plenty, but I I totally know what you mean that there's like a little bit of, Oh, are we going to take this seriously? Is this just an interlude or whatever? And yeah, that's, that is an interesting point. Maybe something that I don't, don't know if I necessarily thought of, but maybe. That's a great point too, Shane. Like I feel like that the B side of Abbey Road, like being all minute long songs that just sort of flow together and they make something bigger than if those songs were to have like repeating choruses or repeating parts. Like every every minute of it is super special. And I think that that's something we tried to unlock here. Yeah. But I mean, I honestly don't know what we would have done. We would have recorded a different song. <laughs> We could repeat Mary again. You know what I mean? We could go back to the intro, I guess. But like, I don't think the it would have been as good. No, it I wouldn't don't. have been as good. And the altar wouldn't have worked at all, I don't think. So the altar anyway. would have just needed more part. I don't know. It would have been bad. And like, Mary, the, vo- the way the vocals are structured, like that crescendo, like the, the rising, you know, vocal melody there, like, you can't give, we would have had to not do that the first time and then bring that in later. Like, it just would have, really taken away from i think the pacing and you know the the just overall arc of the song it would have been fucking ruined i think that said when bill you bring up that sounds like bonnie vera or you know it's one of those songs i set out to write a song that sounded like um like the national like pink rabbits yeah because it was and it was originally piano i don't know if you ever heard that demo i made it with um this writer frederick tay or thay i never know if the h is silent or not but he was a piano guy and I was like well I want we've never really do things with organic sounding piano and I think it would be cool to try that on this record and I we like made a demo of it and it just like felt I don't know flat or like not interesting or something so the synth Mike Tompa will talk about I'm sure but that really gave it the kind of scary futuristic organ vibe like a church in the future oh so okay I have a demo here called Mary Original Vibe that's not Tampa. No, no, that's oh. that's Frederick Tay or Thay again. Sorry, if you listen to this, Fred. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I, I uh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, Mike's gonna be here in about five minutes, but I'd love to play one of these early alter demos before he gets here. We're gonna play this early alter demo entitled One Eight Hundred Idea. Here we go.
There it is. Uh, really, nothing changed except the bass outro, right? That cuts yeah, off. Yeah, true. Yeah, we maybe changed a little thing in the second uh, stoppy bit before the breakdown. There's a Sam had this like off-click drum fill thing that was really cool, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. What jumps out at me right away, I think, is just that very hip hop influenced midsection that has a bass line that almost reminds me of like old Dr. Dre. Oh yeah. Or something like that. You know what I mean? Like West Coast nineties, you know? Um or or even or old Eminem produced by Dr. Dre. It's like reminds me a little bit of like what's that song? Um Guilty Conscious yes. by Eminem, like dun 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 like kind of a strange choice of notes, but really just has a bounce to it. That's kind of what what I I like thought of the first time I heard it. Yeah, it's definitely got that uh, creepiness. For me, it's definitely the like everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster part, which is so sick. Yeah, I'm gonna need to see your fucking hands in the concert. That's right. That's right. I also love that the breakdown is just harmonics yeah <laughs> like really just a droney note that's like maybe not even a note in the key it's just i have like, no idea it's just, it's a just a note harmonic i'm pretty sure i like yeah for all the guitar nerds there that breakdown does not have guitars playing like fretting any notes it is just harmonics and the bass is playing the roots which is i i was really like sam i think wanted to layer them and i was like i see why you want to do that but just for me can we please not Right, it's crazy. It is a crazy, crazy song. And now I'm I'm hearing it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, like you could repeat the verse. Like that verse could have been repeated again. I guess before the that guitar riff comes in. Yeah. Um. But other than that, it's like, does it make it better? I don't know. So it's a pretty unique song. I'll say also that guitar part is so much harder than it sounds because I think naturally, if you're a guitar player, your instinct would be to not dip to all the root notes and just kind of play dan, 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 the same every time throughout the entire part but it actually does reach so that bass line you're talking about the hip hop one the guitar riff touches all of those notes okay in sequence it's like really messed up and hard to play because some of the jumps I mean it's pretty quick and some of the jumps are like 12 frets to be able to pull it off and I don't know if I'm explaining this well over a podcast is probably pretty hard. I'd have to solo the guitar part to show you, but it is so much harder to play than it sounds, especially on the bass because the, just the neck is so much longer and your hand has to travel so fucking far. Very mm. tough. Hardest thing I played all recording. And those strings are so heavy too. I remember uh, standing in the room. I think you even maybe played the bass part through the fuzz guitar rig that we had set up. Oh, I did. Uh, yeah. Super distorted. And, uh, just like Sick. if you weren't playing, the thing was screaming with feedback. It was like falling off the rails. It was insane. Uh, and definitely a, a very technically difficult part to pull off. As you mentioned, jumping around all over the neck to hit those notes, uh, wild stuff. I have a question for you, Paul Mark, about writing process of this. Did you come up with the lead? The or did you come up with the riff first and adapt the because they're obviously they're related right yeah the lead was the first thing I thought about because it's like so emblematic of that kind of guitar playing of the like early 2000s mid 2000s metalcore mm -hmm. in, in my mind um, especially of the Devil Wears Prada who you know really did inspire this song um, but like I knew there had to be some kind of moving bass line like that underneath it to 
give it some melody because otherwise it's just pure chaos. Yeah, no, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, our old song "Bodies and Words" from their Ravels and Departures uh, record as well. And it's the same kind of pull-off pattern. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly. But we got a guest, Mike Tompo. What's up, buddy? How you been? Hey, I'm doing great. So, how's dad life? How's uh, how's everything? How's the things going, Mike? It's been good. It's been uh, it's been crazy. It's still very weird to me to think that I have a daughter. Um, but she's she's <laughs> awesome. She's like smiling. She's super happy. She's a uh, like my cat doesn't give a shit that she's alive and that's been kind of funny, but yeah, it's great. <laughs> Jealous cat. Yeah, I think so. That makes sense. Well, well, congratulations, Mike. That's, that's awesome. So yeah, we, we wanted to bring you on real quick just to talk about uh, Mary. And uh, I thought that you came up with the, like the, the patterns and everything. I just found out that you actually adapted it to from a, original piano part into a synth part. Is that, is that uh, what happened? Pretty much, yeah. I um, I got that session from Paul Mark, and he's like, "Hey, I think uh, I think it'd be cool to get you to try some production on this." And it was pretty bare bones, I think, at the time. Yeah, I think I had retrofitted to like bad patch, like soft synth. Yeah, that was like sort of the vibe, and I was like, "I know you're gonna get what I'm trying to do here and make it way better." <laughs> yeah, I think it was just like a piano and those four like bass notes just sort of padded out um and i remember you sent a couple references over at the time but i think it was greeks that bon Iver tune like super vocoder yep and uh i mean i listened to that album so much working on my own little project so i absolutely knew what you were going for and like the way he he holds the vocoder but not the entire time or sort of cuts in and out so it gets really thin like in those gaps and then just hits crazy hard um I knew I wanted to try some of that on it. Um, and just the way you had laid it out with those big four chords, kind of like blasting, it just kind of like set it up really nicely to have the most uh, like contrast between the, the hits. And especially coming out of like, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be coming out of the altar, but how chaotic that is going into it, where it just sort of like sucks it right back in. Uh, that works so well. Just maximum impact. Yes, we also didn't know it was going to be coming out of the altar, but that's what happened. Um, I've got I've got the original demo here, Mike, that that you heard and that you adapted. So I'm going to play it. We'll listen to this, and uh, then everybody can kind of get a vibe to to kind of what you were working with, and then and then where you went from there. So here it is. This is called Mary Original Vibe. I actually think as a quick note, this is not what I sent Mike. I had already adapted it to synth and then sent it to Mike. So like oh, okay. Mike had a really bullshit version of what it eventually became. Like me just playing bad voicings in the shitty soft synth in those big stabs. And then I sent it to Mike saying like, I know you can make this. I know you see what I'm trying to do. Can you please make it what it should be? <laughs> so like, All right, well, actually, we'll, we can go with this narrative though. I'm fine with it. We'll play <laughs> We'll play this. <laughs> we'll play this anyway.
should just cut off now, I think. But very different. That that one chord definitely didn't survive. <laughs> that was not in there. Uh, wow. That's interesting. Cool. I remember uh, in the studio there being discussion, although not much discussion, because it was pretty much a cut and dry decision in Paul Mark's mind about not uh, silversteining it up too much and not adding guitars and drums uh, in a way that, you know, logically we might have uh, if it were its own standalone song. And I think definitely uh, that decision was made easier by it coming out of such an intense, you know, straight ahead yeah. guitar driven uh, song. And so Mike being a uh, bit of a synth whiz, logical uh logical move to to see what he would do with it uh avoiding that traditional kind of more silverstein instrumentation mike i really want to know what did you layer up there because i think it is many synths is it not it's uh it's many synths yeah i I don't even remember how much i dumped in i i remember getting the session thinking oh this is weird and uh just sort of like putting everything into it I put. I think I layered like three or four really fuzzy bass synths in there, as well as like a real bass that was just fuzzed out of control. A bunch of pads. I made sure everything like cut super hard on those like offbeats. Um, I, I did put drums in because I think Paul Mark sent one with like this roomy little like groove in the back half. Yeah, I think it stayed. I think it is actually in the album version too. Yeah, there's definitely but something. In there. Pretty bare though. Yeah. Yeah, there was like a fuzzy like octave guitar riff. That stayed too. It's definitely in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember like doing it, sending it back to Paul Mark. Like as soon as I sent the session back in the Dropbox, I was like, well, that was that was fun. There's like no fucking chance that's going to be on the album, but this was a fun little day. <laughs> <laughs> you were wrong, Mike. I love it. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right. We got two. It's called Icon. I'm not sure where the title Icon came from. Mary. It was, I was thinking of the Icon in the stained glass. Like that was the point, right? And then the ah. lyrics were developed. But that was my vibe from the get-go. Gotcha. Okay. This is the one that was sent to Mike after the original. So here we go. Yeah. 
That seems right. I mean, that's mostly but there. It's like not mostly there. You know what I mean? Like you think well, it is and then you hear Mike shit and you're like, ah, yeah. All right. Well, let's hear Mike shit. Here's Icon Idea with Mike on it. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. Yes. Vocoder. (laughs) Well, Mark, I want to ask, I know you sort of bounced uh, this lyric off me like well before I heard any of these demos, but that that Mary, I feel the devil in this this room tonight. Was that like a starting point for you on the song? I just remember us, us chatting about it and it always brought to mind that scene in There Will Be Blood where Paul Dano's like in the barn, like being like, I don't know what he, he sort of said something like that's like, I, you know, like I feel the devil in this room. Like I'm, I'm feeling influenced to do bad things or I'm sort of, uh, there's, there's a bad man here or something like, uh, hundred percent. It was, uh, yeah. in the first session with, with Fred, that's, that was like the line that I, the jumping off point line, 100%. And I know we've talked a lot about this on this, on this here program about, um, you know, writing lyrics and even just writing songs to when you come up and you say like i know you talked about it with cody it's just like what's the what's the vibe here and it's just like the vibe here is ultraviolet right like um you sort of this is what we're jumping off so yeah yeah, yeah exact same situation really, yeah i thought that, that was just like a really compelling uh moment and and obviously the whole thing grew and then that's you know the tie into the altar as well yeah, i mean for a non-religious band like religious material (laughs) makes its way into our work a lot i probably because i went to catholic school i don't know but it's like i just find like the imagery so powerful Um, exactly yeah exactly and it's also just something that so many people find so compelling in their lives it's like okay but why though (laughs) it's like i need to talk about this yeah I that just immediately called to mind this like 10 year period in bill's life when he would just send the why though guy that meme, do you know what I'm talking about? Why though? Why though? I feel like Billy is the most uh, religious of, of all the people in our band. 
That's yeah, not I saying s- much. <laughs> totally. I mean, I certainly, I certainly like grew up going to like church and Sunday school and like church camp and stuff for a couple of years. But then I think Shane as well, like, um, th- I feel a lot of like Pedro the Lion in this song. Like that was an artist that mm. really kind of caught me at a time where I was coming up in like a Christian upbringing. And then I heard, you know, a record like Control and I was just like, it just broke open my brain of like what, you know, rethinking things and and I, I feel a lot of like even a song like second best or something like in in this kind of a production and in this kind of like the the intensity the vibe the, the heaviness of it even though it's like a a piano song you know what i mean synthesizer yeah. right i totally understand what you mean by that by that reference and obviously one of my biggest influences as well Pay so i think line. too that that's like where it creeps into our band is that like we have sort of these uh these influences that um have touched upon those topics over the years that it's um it's sort of looming in our influence yeah absolutely not to mention that it is just so pervasive in our society you know our society was built uh as a religious one by religious people and to exist within it but on the fringes uh as a a non-believer it's you know you're inundated with it uh from at least time to time if not day in and day out in uh just constructs of the the norm that was uh, established by believers well it's true right because i mean non-religious people are still the i mean minority and maybe the vast minority in many places um so you know that's something that i think we wrestle with in a way right knowing that you have a bit of a non-mainstream point of view on how you live your life does that make any sense for sure yeah yeah, I mean, even, you know, being born in this part of the world and probably many others, you're born into a belief system and it's something you eventually maybe unlearn or don't or kind of drift away from. There's it's not black and white. It's obviously very much no. on a on a gradient, but that you can't help but be influenced by those things from your upbringing. Right. Like you don't forget. Like I still say, oh, my God, when something good or bad happens, you know, like it's there's kind of no escaping that <laughs> stuff like that. Just the like vestigial you know, parts of it still exist, like within my day to day life in ways that if I think I took a magnifying glass to, I would find so much more, like, you know, so many more ways that it influences me, even though I think that I'm, you know, kind of free of it, I'll say. But yeah, this isn't an indictment of, you know, at all of people of faith of any kind. Um, except don't make laws using it. That's crazy. But <laughs> not stop. this time, at least not stop. this time. <laughs> stop fucking doing that. It's insanity. But, uh, you know, whatever gets you through the day. But yeah, man, David Bazan um, started saying, oh, your God in his songs instead of saying, oh, my God, man, that guy tries oh, so God. hard. That's, <laughs> he just is always trying. He's awesome. I know. But like, geez. Well, the the one thing that I remember that just showed me the differences between different regions and, and Christianity and belief systems was we were touring somewhere in the South and we stopped just for gas or whatever. And there was a waffle house for people that don't know what waffle house is, which there are many cause it's a Southern thing. It's basically like a real greasy spoon, fast food diner, uh, real cheap food, open 24 hours, open 24 hours. Always. Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run across the street and get, and get something at Waffle House. So I order my food and the lady was super, super nice. And here I am like probably wearing all black, like looking like 
not typical people wherever we were, Tupelo, Mississippi or somewhere. And um, <laughs> and she goes, oh, darling, your total comes to, and it was $6.66. And she said, she looked at it and she went, oh my God, I can't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like That's incredible I have to like Go around to every Waffle House Ordering exactly that So it comes out to $6.66 Just to freak people out And think that So they think I'm the devil <laughs> the, de- the devil's in the room tonight You know <laughs> Did you end up paying for that meal Or was that one on the house Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I, um, no, I paid exact change and I counted it out. I was like $6.66. No, I, I did not do that. You should start, you should get like a shiny red suit and like dye your hair black and just go straight goatee and carry around exactly like a five, a one, two quarters, a nickel and a penny. And just <laughs> every time before she even says it, you just drop the cash. <laughs> And no, t- that, and your total comes to. I know. <laughs> oh man, yes, yeah. So you know, uh, without getting too far afield from the songs, that's uh, that is something that that does happen. I'm sure people have had that question for us. Is it acapella time? I feel like um, we really want to hear this. Yeah, I think we all want to hear this one. Does the acapella have the vocoder in it? Because there is vocoder. I believe it does, okay. but if it does not, I'm sorry, okay. but it should. Uh, I don't know. I bounce the tracks. I do my best. Here we go. This is um, going to be all the vocals on their own, Alter and Mary. Here we go. I'm feeling ready. Born into a case that leads directly to the slaughter. Ritual sacrifice at the altar of the altar of the fucking dollar. The machine is blood. The show must go on! Get out the upper class if there's no one underneath them! Sawing through the top rocks before selling you! I should to cut the cover letter! At the base of the ivory tower! The bodies pile up! Lord you with the future, but it won't exist! Shame you for a failure that they won't admit! Somebody has to die! As a warning to the rest! Shut up and get in line! Take what you can get! Oh Lord, I wish that I could quit But the idol in the middle tends to rule with the fist I'm not blind But my hands are tied I tint my lenses rose I'm handing people hope They'd rather make ends meet than meet their maker with the rope Right? I'm not Satan, just a friend So I'ma pay my penance when I get my dividend Yeah. <laughs> 
So we definitely talked about how uh, in recording a lot of this, we, we got creative and things were going off the rails. We had the guitar amps turned so loud that like they were they were basically just self-destructing. Uh, but we didn't touch on the fact that uh, at the end there, you can quite clearly hear in that acapella, we are literally beating the shit out of trash cans. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's an interesting, not so musical thing that we did that... Uh, definitely amps up the intensity yeah i'm not sure if that is when we were all smashing them or if i was just smashing them while screaming somebody has to die but both happened that was just you yeah that was just that was just you all you buddy yeah yeah because when we did the double drum take uh with sam and i on drums we had paul mark josh i think and bill with various trash cans bats and other noisemakers all in the live room, all mic'd up, all recording all together, which was chaos. But then, yeah, when you did that one vocal take, I think we let you loose with, with the can <laughs> and then layer that on top. So it's just complete utter mayhem. I, yeah, I let loose for sure. All right. Are we ready for Mary? Billy is talking, but he's muted. Oh, Bill's, Bill's muted. Sorry, I didn't realize I was muted. There you go. Shane, also that whole part that uh, from, from when Paul Mark's vocal e- ends, you recorded all of that with like a handheld Shure SM58 microphone, like the kind of style mic you would do live. Oh, did I? And you had like a 50-foot cable on it, and you just ran around the studio. That's why you can hear it. And like <laughs> in the performance, you're like, like you know, it's you're running around, and then you just start hitting the trash can while holding a microphone. So that's why you can hear it in the vocal take. Yes. I think I was drinking heavily at that moment, too. Uh, I think we had... I had eight or nine ultras that day <laughs> i believe the whiskey had come out that day oh maybe it was the whiskey there was one whiskey day and that was it i think uh, uh, could have been it yeah i i do i do obviously remember remember it that wasn't blackout or anything but uh no it was that's one of the most fun times i had but also like it was cathartic man it was that's the other thing is like letting some of that energy out was real you know from from just the frustration and how pissed off we were about the last, you know, couple of years. It was frankly real. the probably the only place on earth you could run around screaming somebody has to die with a baseball bat is in that studio. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, let's get to Mary Acapella. Here we go. This is uh, hopefully we have all the parts. Here we go. I say I'm okay, but I've got a ways to go. Both ends of the candle burn the rope So talk to me, talk to me, I've got it bad Forgot what I needed, lost what I had Mary, I feel the devil in this room tonight Somebody wake me up Cause I'd rather be anywhere else And if I don't come back You can be my epitaph I can live in painted glass 
It's sick, but there's no vocoder on that. Oh, there wasn't? Uh, okay. Because every time a chord, like a stab hits, you get vocoded, and then it dips when the chord goes away. Oh. So it's like really neat the way it comes in and out. It's too bad. I forgot about that like octave down alter void vocal too. Yeah. Like when it kind of really heavy. That's the coolest part too, because I feel like we always uh, like compare that or call that uh, effect the like devil voice. So it's like the devil yeah. voice comes in and it's like, True. It's like, I could feel the devil in this room, you know? I mean, if you're not going to use altar boy on the altar, then you're doing it wrong. Fair. <laughs> Right, I know it's the different altar, but I always wondered when I heard about that plugin, the Sound Toys Altar Boy, if it was all like altar like change or altar like church. I mean, but it is altar like change. It I think, is, right? but it's supposed to be like a. It's a definitely a, yeah. a good play on words here. Ah, nice job, good job, Sound Toys. Not a sponsor of this podcast, but could be. We'd love that. I love Sound Toys. I use them your on everything. Love your stuff. And that is our episode of The Altar, Mary, one of the most interesting songs we've ever recorded, and I know already a fan favorite, but Silverstein, the podcast, wouldn't be complete until we got our final thought from everyone's favorite, Josh. Josh, final thought, please. Truly an anchoring point on what is perhaps our most important and certainly our favorite, very best record we've made. I think it is integral to the record and it is truly the perfect marriage of the themes that you can find throughout it many of the songs are ones of personal introspection at a you know a time of forced introspection you know when when the world stops and we're all just left with ourselves however it also explores the themes of you know, the the system and the culture that set up all of us for this this great fall and yet is a scathing review of late stage capitalism. Zero stars would not buy again. <laughs> nice, Josh. Nice job. And with that, we will leave you. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. We've still got some more episodes, so make sure you've subscribed. And of course, who knows what this podcast feed will bring you in the future. We're going to be doing all kinds of stuff on here down the road. want to thank Mike Tampa for being here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you next week. I'm feeling ready. Tired. I think my lens is wrong
What I have 